You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye, baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome back to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Gary Hill here. Thanks for being here once again. I'm very, very excited about this edition of the podcast. No game yesterday, obviously, an off day, so nothing to recap, but a lot to preview as the Mariners take on the defending world champion, Kansas City Royals. So we'll take a quick look at what is happening over the weekend. Mark Simon is going to be here from ESPN. Really fun conversation. We'll talk about Taiwan Walker, which is... A lot of fun to talk about at this point. We'll talk the Mariners start, uh, where they fit in the division, the Houston Astros, uh, a little bit of catch framing, also hard hit rate. So a lot with Mark Simon. He's one of my favorite people to talk to, and it's great. I think you'll enjoy it. So that comes up in a few minutes. Also, Greg Green will be here. He's going to talk about what is coming up at Safeco Field, including some big giveaways this weekend. That's going to come up. He'll chat with Aaron Goldsmith. And finally, one of the things I unearthed during this past offseason, a conversation between Rick Riz and the great Vin Scully, and he talks about how he got started in the business and some Brooklyn stories, and it is fantastic. So I am really excited about this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. So the Mariners taking on the Kansas City Royals, the first of three over the weekend and this is a series especially given how the Mariners have started that I'm really looking forward to the Royals right now 12 and 9 on the season they have lost three games in a row in second place now in the central the White Sox really surging 16 and 7 now on the season and they've opened up a three-game lead albeit early on the Royals Kansas City is playing really well at home 8 and 3 but below 500 on the road 4 and 6 so far on the road course the Mariners 11 and 10 on the season they've won four straight series but certainly will be a tall task to take a series from the defending World Series champions but here's how it lines up first of all Felix Hernandez on a Friday night Kings Court at Safeco Field against the defending world champions yeah this should be fun Felix, 1-2 with a 1.80 ERA on the season. He'll take on Chris Medlin. Medlin this year, 1-1 with a 6.00 ERA. He's actually faced the West twice already and has pitched well. At Houston, two earned in five innings. At Oakland, one earned in six and a third. But really struggled his last time out against Baltimore. Only lasted three and two-thirds. Gave up nine hits and seven earned runs. So his ERA took a big hit, had a 2-3-8 going into that ball game. Now it's ballooned to six. So we'll see what the Mariners can do against Medlin. But, man, the King on Friday night at Safeco Field. I hope you have plans to be there. Should be a lot of fun from the safe. Saturday, remember the start's pushed back. It's now a 7-10 first pitch from Safeco Field. Originally, 
It was going to be a 6-10 first pitch, now a 7-10. Keep in mind, Vita closed this weekend, Sounders game in the middle of the day, so give yourself uh, plenty of time to get to the ballpark. Ventura going to go for the Royals. He's got a giant arm, 2-0 with a 2-3-5 ERA, electric stuff. He'll take on Wade Miley, 1-2 with a 7-0-4 ERA on the season. And then on Sunday, I think we're all excited, first day in May as Taiwan Walker will take the mound again, a 110 first pitch. He'll go against Ian Kennedy, who has been excellent so far this year. Kennedy 2-2 two two with a 2.77 ERA. Taiwan Walker has been nothing short of sensational. 2-0 and oh with a 1.44 ERA. And I, I was looking at some stuff on Walker, and you know, the thing that is so striking to me, and it seems like he's been around for a long time now because well, he's over 40 starts in the big leagues, but consider this. Off to a great start, clearly. One of the best first months in Mariners history. Second best ERA uh, for any starter with at least four starts in Mariners history with the one four four. But just to keep this in mind when you're watching Walker pitch, he is the fifth youngest starter in the American League to have made a start this year. The fifth youngest. And two of those that are younger just made their major league debuts and through their first uh, start within this last week. So when you're watching Walker and what he's doing so far, just keep that in mind. And he's doing it at this young age. And, again, we're going to talk to Mark Simon about Tywin Walker in just a few minutes because I am interested. He's starting to get the attention nationally as well. Mark Simon certainly has noticed. He wrote up uh, something on Walker after his last start, and I've seen some other things pop up about Tywin Walker. He's starting to get the attention, and in my mind, uh, he has worked himself into that group of young, up-and-coming star pitchers. I mean, there's a lot of them. I mean, Fernandez and Syndergaard and Walker, and you know, maybe he's not pitching at the same level as Syndergaard, but I mean, who is really? But he is in that group of the young up-and-coming stars in terms of pitching in this game and I mean that's where I that's where I think he is and I know that's a big statement but that's where I think uh, that's where I think he's headed Salazar you know pitchers like that he's in that cluster I mean from there I mean you can if you were to rank him out who knows where he would be but he's in he's in that group of the young stars in the game I mean, that, that's where he is, especially when you consider the age and what he's doing right now. So I'm anxious to see how he responds to the success he's had so far and what he'll do against the Kansas City Royals. He's been so much fun to watch. And day baseball, Safeco Field. <laughs> oh, man, this is going to be a fun series. Felix, Walker, Royals. Hope you make plans to be at Safeco Field. So that's this weekend. Now, let's welcome in Mark Simon. Well, now we get a chance to visit with one of our favorites, Mark Simon. You know him so well from ESPN Stats and Info, the blog, which is fantastic. And follow him on Twitter as well, at ESPN. And, Mark, before we get going, you're an author now officially, so congratulations <laughs> on your book that just came out. Thank you. 
uh, Yankee book. So uh, yeah, check it out if you. Yeah, I was going to say that there aren't probably aren't too many Mariner fans <laughs> that are going to want to want to read the Yankee Index, but if you do, Triumph Books. Uh, it'll be out June first. Uh, check it out. A lot of stories, a lot of stats, a lot of fun. You never know. And again, congratulations. I know how much work you've put in. So thank you. Well, let's talk some Mariners. And you wrote a nice piece about Taiwan Walker a couple of starts ago, and then he just turned in another dominant start. He has been fantastic to start the season. What have you seen from Taiwan Walker so far this year? Okay, a couple of things uh, with him. One is the fastball is, is what it's uh, been both uh, when he came up. Uh, it's the same pitch now uh, in terms of uh, effectiveness. He's able to get it into the mid to high uh, 90s. Uh, but the other pitches are developing, and this is something that Mel Stottlemyre Jr. Uh, talked about in spring training, that the curveball wasn't there yet. Uh, well, right now it looks like it's there. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that the, the change or the splitter or whatever you want to call it, he knows that that's his number two pitch, and thus far this season, that pitch has been uh, totally unhittable. So it's gone from being pretty good, uh, I guess, which is where it was last year, early part of the season, to very good toward the end of the season when he pitched a lot better than he did uh, in the, at the start of the season, to outstanding and a, a dominant pitch, a pitch that he can finish years off with. Uh, and now that he's got three pitches, it makes him more unpredictable, and as a result, it makes him better. It's interesting to look at him. There's so many good young pitchers in Major League Baseball right now. You know, Syndergaard and everyone else. The list is pretty long. Where does Taiwan Walker fit with some of the young stars in terms of pitching it's, in Major League Baseball? It's funny because you have to remember that he is still so young because yes. he got the he got the recall at such an early age. So he's in that like that same kind of age group that that someone like Syndergaard is in. And I think this is something that that Mel was trying to emphasize when I talked to him. There's still a lot of room for growth. Mm. Uh, so I I think. I think he's in a good place. I don't know that he's necessarily at the top of the line among the guys that are 23, 24, but he's kind of closing in, and I think that that, that that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, you mentioned I think I have him as the 12th youngest pitcher uh, to start a game this year in Major League Baseball, and I think he's only separated by 10 days by Syndergaard in terms of age, which I think is kind of interesting. But yeah, The other thing with him is the strikeout to walk rate has been unbelievable. And that was something that I think you saw in pieces last season, uh, but you're now seeing it kind of be put to completion. Uh, when he was at his best last year, the strikeout to a walk was like 10 to 1, and right now it's like 8 to 1, uh, and that's uh, really impressive. And he has been fantastic, and he's been a big part of this Mariners start. And it's it's been a pretty good start for the Mariners. They sit towards the top in the AL West. What have you seen from the Mariners in general so far this year? Well, you have the same issue that you, you always seem to have, which is that the ballpark tends to rob you of some hard-hit mm-hmm. uh, balls that become outs. Uh, and I think that uh, that a couple of guys have fallen victim to that in the early part of the season. But AL West uh, seems to be fairly there for the taking. Uh, there isn't necessarily a dominant team. I didn't think that the Rangers were a dominant team. Uh, and if you can if you can put out a good one, two, three, Walker, Hernandez, Iwakuma, although Hernandez at the top, Walker is the two, Iwakuma is the three, I think you got a pretty good shot. And I know that Felix has had his issues uh, sort of the season with some wildness. Uh, Kuma's had his issues a little bit. I think if they if they get that. Uh, and Walker is as good as advertised, I think you're going to be in the hunt. Uh, and then as an added bonus, uh, if Nate Carnes can do what he did the other night or last night, uh, I think you're in, you're in pretty good shape. You do have some bullpen issues. you got to wonder how long Benoit's going to be out. T-Shicks looked good. Uh, but uh, I, I, would, I would feel good, even though it's not like you're not like 14 and 7. I would feel pretty good with 11 and 10. 
Yeah, no doubt. It's really interesting, too, to look how the division is shaking out, especially with the start the Astros have had. Just not a great start, a talented team, but what do you, what do you think of them so far? All right, so their biggest issue this this season this far has been that Keuchel and McHugh have not been what they were in the past. Mm-hmm. Keuchel's got a 4-4 ERA. He's lost a couple of miles an hour off his fastball. Now, he didn't throw that hard to begin with, but when you combine the fact that he's lost velocity and the pitchers are hanging more up in the strike zone, uh, it's made him a lot more hittable. His strikeout to Walks 2-1, to one. that's not uh, good for him. And then the other guy, Colin McHugh, has gotten uh, roughed up a couple of times. Uh, you saw him last night. He, he looked a little better, but the ERA is still 6-6 six, six, uh, through five starts. Those guys, uh, uh, McHugh was a 19-game winner last year. Keuchel was a uh, 20-ish game winner, uh, and, and the Cy Young, those guys have been mediocre so far. They're a combined four and six, and I think you would have expected that they would be eight and two at this point. And if they're eight and two, you're eleven and eleven, and you're not worried. Uh, so that would be uh, that would be, I think, the primary thing. Uh, the other thing is they have some they have some offensive issues, like the Mariners. Uh, they're only they're they're striking out a ton as they always do. Uh, they're hitting the home runs, but uh, they're not putting as many guys on base. And I think that uh, that. If you're going to play a guy who hits 130 and a guy who hits 190 and another guy who's hitting 200 in Gomez, uh, it doesn't necessarily matter how good Correa is because he only gets one shot every nine times through. Uh, you have some issues. Keiko's an interesting case. Do you put any stock into his home run splits, considering the ballpark he plays in is not the greatest park to pitch in, yet he is so much more successful at home? It's such an odd thing the last couple of years. Yeah, I don't have I don't really have a good explainer for that. I I think that it's just one of those kooky quirks. It's a one it's a one six difference for his career. I'm just looking at uh, his season right now. Thus far this year, four starts on the road, five eighty RA, only the one start at home and he threw eight scoreless. So maybe that's maybe that's a part of maybe he's just more comfortable. Yeah. I you know, you never know with with uh, the mental approach of a guy that maybe it just really makes a difference for him to be pitching in Minute Maid and he can execute the way that he wants to execute. Well, a couple of minutes ago you mentioned hard hit rate, and I love talking to you about hard hit rate because you're always on this. And I remember last year when we had this conversation, you talked about Cano and his hard hit rate early on in the season. It was there. The numbers weren't. But then he came on despite being banged up and had a, a really good second half. What have you seen? I know it's early, but what have you seen from a hard hit rate so far this season? What's piqued your interest? All right. When you're talking Mariners, I think that it's interesting that the guy who's at the top is Leonis Martin, hmm. even though he's only hitting 200. So that tells me that he's, he may have had a couple of balls that should have been. I, I think I looked at his spray, and it was two balls that were hit to the warning track that could have been out, mm-hmm. in, uh, depending on the park that he was in, and then a line drive. Uh, on the infield that happened to get snagged. If he had three more hits, he might feel maybe he wouldn't uh, be as worried about the 200 batting average. So that was one. Cano's number is, is I mean, he's second best on the team right now. It's, I think it's a number that's around what you would expect it to be. And, again, I think the hits will come for him in bigger numbers uh, eventually. Uh, that You just have to kind of be patient and ride out uh, the hard hit rate. In terms of major league perspective, I guess early on, surprise, surprise, Bryce Harper's Bryce Harper. He's fantastic. <laughs> a couple of guys at the top that I think maybe you wouldn't necessarily expect to be at the top. Logan Forsyth is one from the Rays. Uh, Michael Conforto from the Mets is actually the leader and has been the leader for the last week or so. He's a guy that uh, your classic number three hitter mm-hmm. who hits a lot of line drives. Second uh, this year so far is David Ortiz, which is no surprise. Wow, that's impressive. 
I know you've been working too on catcher framing, and this is one of yep. my favorite subjects because I, I am fascinated by this, and I'm glad we're diving into it. The catcher, I think we all know how important the catcher's role is in a baseball game, but it's been hard to quantify over the years. But I think catcher framing is giving us really something to work with and something fun to talk about and look at. Yeah, and it's it's a good topic for for Mariner fans because Zanina was so good at it yeah. uh, last year, and this year you get Ionetta and. Chris Ionetta is an interesting one because his story is that he was not good at getting called strikes for his pitchers, uh, but he went and looked at the data and looked at the areas where he wasn't good and adjusted the way that he caught so that he could do that, uh, so that he could do that better. It worked last year, and then this year, thus far, he's actually he hasn't performed very well. He's uh, he's been below average, and I don't know where it. it we don't know, from what, I, from what I know, we don't know if this is something that fluctuates year to year uh, up and down or if it's something where a guy who's good is always good. And there, there's some guys that are. Buster Posey's always good. Um, a, a couple of guys on the Pirates are always good. And uh, Ionetta is right now a guy that's bouncing around a lot. Now, it's still early. I think 17 games is tough. It's tough to draw a sample from that. But it's one thing that studies have shown is that Within a season, what your number is, like 20 games in, tends to be pretty reflective of who you are. So maybe he's hurt. Maybe uh, maybe there's something that's preventing him from – I don't want to speculate that he's hurt. But maybe there's something that's preventing him from being as effective as he, as he wants to be. And there's so many things that go into it. You have a, an umpire that's having a lousy night, yeah. you're going to get dinged uh, for not being a good pitch framer when it's not your fault. Uh, so I want to wait it out a little bit with him, but right now he's a little below average. That's a great point because I'm thinking about a game in Texas in particular, a windy day in Texas where, I, frankly, the umpire didn't have a very good day. And Ionetta, <laughs> I, I, I think it came across – it didn't come across as a good night for Ionetta because, in terms of pitch framing. And I wonder, you know, when we're talking about, what, 17 games? Yep. How much that can affect the sample. That, that it, will be interesting to watch as we move forward. It can, it can affect you uh, a pretty decent amount. I'm actually looking right now. I think I found the game that you're referring to, the game that the Mariners lost uh, 7-3, yeah. and he had, yeah, he had a rough game that day. Uh, that, was the, was that, the first, yeah, that was the first game of the series mm-hmm. uh, against, the, against the Rangers a couple of weeks ago. I think that's the game. Or, wait, <laughs> are, you t- are you talking about the opening week of the season? Because there was a game the opening week of the season where – he he really had a um, rough game. It may be. Uh, so I, yeah. regardless, yeah, against really the Rangers had a couple yeah. of tough ones. Yeah, interesting. And I know yeah, I've been fascinated too by the Pirates because I I feel like they were the first team, at least publicly, that really yep. made an effort to go after catchers and pitch framing, identify this as important. And I think it's really helped their pitching staff when you look at what they've done uh, through the uh, through the past few years. Yeah. The, uh, so the Pirates have Chris Stewart. Uh, and Francisco Cervelli, and I actually talked to Francisco Cervelli about this, and I, I really liked the way that he, he said the, the way that what makes you a good pitch receiver, he said you have to love the ball. I, just, I thought that was a, <laughs> if you were going to explain it in three words, that was a great way to do it. That is perfect. That's a yep. great description. 
Yep. Well, it's such a, it's such a neat skill, and I I've really liked watching Mike Zanino. Uh, obviously not this year at the big league level, but it really is almost like a sleight of hand when you really concentrate on watching what a catcher does with the mitt. It's actually a very fun skill to watch when you're paying attention to it. Yeah, the, it's funny, and the pitchers are all amazed by it. Um, another guy that uh, talked about it, Addison Reed, who's a reliever for the Mets, uh, said that he's watched uh, some of the Mets catchers, and he says, "I don't know how they do it." He says, it's, "They can take a ball that's four inches off the plate." And do this magical hand thing, and it's <laughs> suddenly right over the plate. That's great. Well, yep. I have another big, broad, general question for you because I think the makeup as the of the National League this year is very interesting. When you have some teams that have really stripped down their rosters, like the Reds and Brewers and uh, Phillies, although they're playing pretty well right now, and uh, as a numbers guy, how do you look at the National League that seems so top heavy? And not much middle ground, just in terms of how numbers shake out. Uh, yeah, I think you you kind of nailed it. Although it's funny, the Phillies are kind of uh, playing spoiler to that uh, uh-huh. just a little bit. But there are like, the, I feel like it's so hard to get a gauge on the the teams. Like I'm looking at the Mets and the Nationals, or the Cubs and the Pirates. Like the Nationals, the first ten, twelve games of the season played the worst teams in the in the sport. Um, so how do I get a gauge for who they really are? Yeah. I think the way to do that is to, when you see all the top teams play against each other and you, like, ideally want if – you're, if you're at the very top, you better be beating the, the Braves and the Brewers and the Padres and the, the junk teams mm-hmm. because if you don't, you're going to pay the price. I think you're, this could be a year in the National League where you could see, like, shoot, where 93 might not get it done in the National League wild card uh, because there are going to be some teams that are going to, like the Mets and the Nationals are so good. The Pirates and the Cubs could be, or the Cardinals could be so good. The Dodgers, if they can get it going, could be really good. Uh, that's a, a little bit of a convoluted, wandering answer to your question, but it, it, it does. I don't like it very much. I wish that the, the teams that were at the bottom were better. No, I agree. And then individually, too, I feel like some of the dominant starters, and we've already seen Arietta throw a no-hitter, I think some of those guys are going to rack up some ridiculous numbers, especially yep. in terms of strikeouts and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and strikeouts are already uh, pretty high this year to, to begin with, but Scherzer, Strasburg, Senior Guard, mm. Arietta, Garrett Cole, Kershaw, um, Bumgarner, uh, there are going to be some big numbers put up this year in the National League. No doubt. Well, Mark, this was great. I always appreciate the time. I love the conversation. Thanks so much for the time. Sure. No problem. Mark Simon, ESPN Stats Info blog. You can see him on Twitter, a must-follow on Twitter, at MSimonESPN. Fantastic, as always. Always love visiting with Mark Simon. Now we're going to hand it off to Aaron Goldsmith, a chance to visit with Greg Green. A lot of fun Coming up at Safeco Field. We are joined on the phone by the director of all things cool for the Seattle Mariners, Greg Green. You know him as Gigi. It's uh, good to have you, Gigi. Uh, this is, um, you know, the Mariners have been gone for a while, Greg. We're finally coming yeah. back home, and uh, we've got some fine promotions coming up. We just heard a, a commercial for for the Beard Hat Night. Can you tell us about the latest Beard Hat? Uh, yes, I can tell you about the latest Beard Hat. It's, it's awesome. It's a little fuzzier. You know, it's got a little more uh, texture to it. Um, uh, but it, it's going to be a really fun Friday night at the ballpark. Uh, you got the beard hat, college night. Uh, Felix is going to be on the hill. We got that cool uh, t-shirt commemorating uh, his strikeout feat, and uh, we got one more 
surprise up our sleeve, which we'll announce here in the, in a day or two. Uh, so Friday night is going to be a lot of fun at the ballpark. That's going to be huge. You know, I, you bring up the, the, the new Kings court t-shirt. I saw this on the Twitter scroll last night at GG, but this is a, a kind of an historic uh, Kings court t-shirt. Is it not? Yeah, we're doing a, a commemorative t-shirt to, to celebrate the, uh, New Mariners all-time K-King, and, uh, you know, it, it'll be your only chance to get it in the Kings Court uh, on Friday night. Um, there'll be a commemorative K-Card as well to, to celebrate nice. that and milestone, and uh, it should be a big, loud court come Friday night against the uh, world champion Kansas City Royals. Oh, that's fantastic. Hey, we've uh, we've been talking from time to time about uh, Nelson Cruz and the, uh, the Cruz Boomstick bobblehead. Can you tell us more? Yes, you know, we got the, the first bobblehead leading off with Nelson Cruz. He doesn't get to bat lead off very often, but <laughs> bringing his big stick on uh, Saturday night. The game time changed to 7. Uh, fans can get there uh, early for Boomstick bobblehead. Come in early and get be one of the first 20,000 fans to get that. And you know what? we got a really good lineup this homestand. Uh, if you got a minute, I'll take you to the first pitch lineup um, this week. Starting off leading off Monday, we're bringing out uh, King Five's home team that uh, just recently retired, Linda Byron, Jeff Renner, Dennis Bounds, and Gene Anderson are going to be in the house. We'll honor them on Monday. Uh, Tuesday, Hugh Fernie, who's uh, taking the clipper around the world in that yacht race, will be with us. Um, Friday, more to come on that. We'll have, we'll have an announcement soon about Friday's first pitch. But Saturday, uh, Brenna Stewart, the Storm's number one overall pick, is going to be in the house Saturday to throw out the first pitch. Nice. LeBron James of women's basketball. And Sunday, Ozzy Alonzo from New York Seattle Sounders. So a great first pitch lineup. Uh, soon to get even better with the announcement here soon. Yeah, Gigi, I, I like to think of you as the uh, the LeBron of promotions, just, just so you're aware. <laughs> that, I'll tell you what, that is the first time I've ever heard that. And probably will be the last as well. <laughs> hey, you know, Gigi, uh, as we are sitting here in the booth in Anaheim, the uh, Little League Parade is going on here, uh, Little League Day here at the ballpark, and I know that's something that the Mariners do every Saturday, or pardon me, every Sunday morning at, at Safeco, and that has to be, uh, I know it is for us, one of the one of the great sights at Safeco Field before each game with Sunday, Sunday mornings. Yeah, it is. We have our first Little League Day coming up on uh, Sunday, May 1st, a week from today, and uh, it will start a parade of 25,000 Little Leaguers coming out to the ballpark, you know, we have uh, one of the longest traditions in baseball with, with the Little League um, doing these parades and these events. Uh, you know, we've had major leaguers down in those parades. I know Willie Bloomquist, who was uh, pride of Port Orchard, was uh, down in the, the Little League parades down in the Kingdom. And, you know, who knows? We probably have a few more major leaguers down there uh, touring, touring the ballpark. But it's always great to get the Little Leaguers out and participating. There's four Little League days this year. There's a youth baseball day at the end of June. And uh, we, we we love having them out to the ballpark. Twenty five thousand, Gigi, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Over the course of uh, four games, we'll get upwards of twenty to twenty five thousand wow. kiddos and parents and coaches, and you know, you can you can hear them on Sunday too. They're loud. They make a lot of noise. On they do. They're coming from the view level, and uh, they have a great time. I'm bringing my my team, the Blue Rockets, will be out to, on uh, May fifteenth for that little league day, which should be a lot of fun and. Uh, chaotic and sugar-filled, but uh, it's, it's a great time for, for the kiddos. Hey, LeBron, this has been great catching up with you. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Hi, Jordan. <laughs> there he is, Greg Green. And finally, this is Rick Riz from a few years ago with the great Vin Scully.
He's starting only his 61st season in the broadcast booth for the Dodgers. Started with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1949-1950. The great Vin Scully. Vin, how in the world did you go from Fordham University and a year later you're in the broadcast booth with Red Barber and Connie Desmond? What do you remember about your first broadcast with the Brooklyn Dodgers? The very first game was a an exhibition game in Vero Beach, the Dodgers playing the Philadelphia Athletics. Jimmy Dykes was the manager, and Cornelius McGillicuddy, Connie Mack, was right there. And just the way you imagined him in the dark suit, the celluloid collar, the straw hat, exactly, I met him. And in the course of that game, sitting alongside Red, scared to death, uh, I used to do one inning, or, you know, they would bring me along. And in that game, uh, I forget who did it, but a Dodger hit into a triple play. And Red called it so effortlessly, so easily. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what would I do in a mess like that? <laughs> and he made it sound so easy, you know. Right. So that was the very first game, yeah. I recall as a kid growing up on the south side of Chicago listening to Jack Brickhouse mm-hmm. and Vince Lloyd and Lloyd Boudreaux, Lou Boudreaux, and Bob Elson, and Bob Elson yeah. in Chicago. And I thought, you know, that's what I want to do. When was the seed planted in your mind that you wanted to be a major league broadcaster? When I was eight years old, which is right after the discovery of fire, <laughs> uh, I was in grammar school and the nuns wanted us to write a composition on what you wanted to be when you grew up. And uh, the boys all wanted to be doctors, lawyers, policemen, uh, firemen, etc. And the girls wanted to be ballet dancers and movie stars and whatever, nurses. And uh, I wanted to be a sports announcer at eight. Now, remember, in those days, I think the only thing we had was college football on radio. We had a big old radio in the living room, and I used to crawl under the radio and listen to the game with my head on a pillow on the crossbar that kept the legs together. Uh So my head was directly underneath the loudspeaker. So when the crowd would roar, it was really like water coming out of a a shower head, and it would thrill me. And I used to lay there listening to whatever game, Tennessee-Alabama, meant nothing to a kid in New York, but the crowd absolutely hypnotized me. And that's when I thought... A, I'd love to be there. B, I'd love to be doing what that fella Ted Using is doing or Bill Stern. Or, and uh, that's where it started at eight. Then the Dodgers make the move from Florida, Vero Beach. They were there for many, many years, and now they're here in Arizona for the second year at this beautiful complex. But going back to the 50s, what was it like when the Dodgers left Brooklyn? How tough was it? for the fans there because the Dodgers were beloved. They were a neighborhood ball club. And how tough was it for you to make that move to the West Coast to Los Angeles? Well, remember the Giants also left, but the Giants didn't draw the attention uh, that the Dodgers drew. And it was painful to some extent to tear up your roots because everything I had in this world was back there. Uh, I was just in the process of getting married. So at least I was starting a new life in many ways. So I did look forward to that. Above all, I was extremely thankful that I had the job because I found out there was a lot of controversy in Southern California. Uh, The Dodgers should use our local announcers. But Walter O'Malley was a man who really 
thrived on loyalty. And uh, Jerry Doggett and I were kept and brought, uh, you know, to uh, Southern California. And it didn't take that long to uh, enjoy it. Everything was fresh and new. Uh, we missed Brooklyn, of course, but we didn't go back to New York. Remember, uh, we were in L.A. in 58. We didn't go back to New York till 62. So there was a, a nice period there of adjustment, so to speak, and it wasn't too bad. For the people in Brooklyn, it had to, you know, tear their heartstrings, but uh, that's the way it goes, you know. After all these years, what keeps you going, Benny? You know, I love this game. Uh, I tried to play it. I played it varsity high school, varsity college. Um, I guess my biggest claim to fame, I played against George Herbert Walker Bush. And we played golf together many years later. And I said to Mr. President, as long as you're in the White House, you can say anything you want. But the day we step out of the White House, remember, <laughs> we both went 0 for 3. And he loved that, you know. But uh, I loved playing it. And I knew I wasn't going to go anywhere playing it. But uh, varsity college was my limit. But when I watch these fellas play, I'm so amazed. I'm still amazed because I know how hard it is. And they make it look so easy. So the charm for me is still there. The only thing wearing on me, God's been good, my health's been good and all that, is, uh, and not the travel, but away from home. You get to an age, you know, where you're sitting in a hotel room and you can hear the meter ticking. And that meter, is your, that's your life. And you're thinking, what am I doing here in Cincinnati? Or, you know, I should be home. That's what's pulling at me. And we'll eventually determine this year whether I'll continue or not. You scared the heck out of us a few days ago. How do you feel? I feel good. Uh, not, not best. But, uh, yeah, I had a very bad fall combination of things where I blacked out. Uh, jumped out of bed too soon, uh, landed backwards on a marble floor, and uh, thank goodness I'm a thick-headed Irishman, and uh, <laughs> I've got I've got a big cut in my head and a bad arm, oh. but I, but I'm okay. I've got a lot to be thankful for, and I'm here. So how bad can it be? See you later.